0: Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley, a podcast about making stuff up and making stuff happen. I talk to a different creative professional every week. This week, my guest is my filmmaker friend Jeffrey Schwartz, who has a brand new documentary out called Tab Hunter Confidential. It's going to be premiering very soon at the South by Southwest Festival in Austin. Um, Jeffrey's other films include Wrangler, Anatomy of an Icon, about Jack Wrangler, the porn star, I Am Divine, amazing, Vito about Vito Russo, and his first feature documentary was Spine Tingler, the William Castle story about that amazing filmmaker. Jeffrey's so good at what he does. I can't wait to talk to him about the Tab Hunter movie, which I just got to see. Uh, But first, a little bit of housekeeping. I want to thank the following people who uh, kicked in a little money to my tip jar, my virtual tip jar which helps me keep the podcast free. Eric Pumala, Warren Dunford, Deborah Ebley, if I said that right, Ebley. I hope I did. I hope I didn't mangle your names after you were so generous. But thank you so much for kicking in, and uh, it really does make a difference and pays for web hosting and things like that, different expenses. So thank you. Um, If you want to do what they did, you can do that at dennisanyone.net. There's a little virtual tip jar there. And while you're there, you can also sign up for my monthly newsletter. You can buy merch, like my novels, and uh, I have a DVD of short films, a CD of music. Um, And you can also see pictures that go with some of the podcasts that we do. There's lots of fun stuff you can do at dennisanyone.net. And you can take my audience poll. Um, I'm very envious because two of my friends in the podcast universe, uh, Dave White and Alonzo Duraldi of Linoleum Knife just scored a sponsor I read on Facebook, audible.com. So I'm like, okay, we got to get that audience poll uh, finished and we got to get into the real sponsorship game. So congrats to them. And you should check out their podcast if you haven't already. All right, enough of that. Um, I have a really exciting So This Happened at the end of this episode. So stay tuned for that. And for now, enjoy Jeffrey Schwartz. All right, I am here in the very homey home of filmmaker Jeffrey Schwartz.
1: Hi! Homo home? I know, I home. pronounced the T in there, but there isn't really a T. It's Jeffrey Schwartz. It's Schwartz. It means Schwarz. black in German. It does. So Schwarzenegger means black plowman.
0: Really? Did you know that? No, but hmm. I kind of <laughs> like, I think I've rented that movie before. Black plowman? <laughs> yeah, I think. It may have, may have been black plowman too. It's brave of you to admit that. I know, and I, and I didn't know what had happened in one, but I, I you know, I caught up. Um, we're here because you make amazing documentary films, and you've just finished a brand new one, Tab Hunter Confidential. We
1: literally just finished it.
0: Literally like, just finished like it. Like three days ago. Now, your previous movies include I Am Divine. Yes. Jack Wrangler. Yes. Was there? A, what was there? More to that title?
1: Um, it was called Wrangler. Wrangler Anatomy of an Icon. Damn right. That was about Jack Wrangler, the 1970s macho porn star. Who was amazing. He was amazing. He was a, a, he, he kind of invented himself as Jack yeah. Wrangler. He was a scrawny little kid who grew up in Beverly Hills, and his dad was in the movie business. He was partners with Stanley Kramer. So he grew up in that environment. All his friends when he was a kid were the, the sons and daughters of movie stars. And he kind of wanted to be an actor. And, but it wasn't really going anywhere for him. So he was living in West Hollywood, and he just saw what was happening around him. You know, this was the, – the sexual revolution was happening. Right. Gay liberation was happening. And he kind of clicked into it, and he started – he was bartending in WeHo, and then he got an opportunity to to dance in WeHo, and he couldn't, didn't know how to dance. Right. So he kind of invented this macho character, the Jack yeah. Wrangler character, the Butch character. Who's the- – awesome who was everything that he wasn't you know so he he just wanted to um he wanted to promote himself so he he said this is going to be the best way to go so he went to the gym and he pumped himself up and he and he deepened his voice and he started wearing flannel and he was suddenly he was jack wrangler and then the movies came and he started he became a, a huge gay porn star yes
0: he was awesome I know we went off on a Wrangler tangent, but I yeah, love that movie. You also made Spine Tingler. Spine the w- Tingler, the William Castle story. About that amazing filmmaker, William Castle, that did all the fun gimmick things with the horror things. And Vito, about Vito Russo. Yeah. Vito. What was the, what was the full title of that? That was just called Vito. Vito, awesome. We weren't
1: sure what to call it for the longest time. Originally, it was just going to be called Activist, which I think about now. Like, what a horrible title. That would, like, who's going to want to see a movie called Activist? I know. And it was actually um, Sheila Nevins at HBO, who said you, you can't call it that Yeah, because no one's going to want to see it. So yeah. then I don't know where the idea came from. Just call it Veto Yeah, that's what it's about. Because how
0: many vetoes? like he's Veto. He's like there's veto. not a million vetoes.
1: Well, we had to go and do a title search on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and there were actually a couple of other things called Veto, but you can use the title if it doesn't have anything to do subject matter-wise with the other existing okay. titles. I, that's the way I understand it. Yeah. So um, –
0: yeah, Vito. So I watched Tab Hunter Confidential last night. You're one of the first. You people sent to me see the it. link. It's so you're you're fantastic at what you do. You're the best at what you do. It, it's terrific. Thank you're you. You're so good at what you do, and I have a lot of questions about that. I, as I was watching it, I made little notes into a tape recorder, and then I wrote them on here. And I kept going. I would say, "Holy shit! Holy shit! Something! Holy <laughs> shit! A, something!" There
1: were a few holy shit. Moments there were a for number you? of
0: holy shits, and I'll oh. I'll bring them up. But let's oh. start with this. How did you? first
1: come to decide to work on that project. On the Tab Hunter project? Yes. I, I knew who he was. And I think probably the first time I, I heard of Tab was through watching um, Polyester. Mm-hmm. Because Tab starred opposite Divine in this movie, Polyester, which probably a lot of people have seen. And I didn't really know who he was. I think I remember my mom talking about him because she... That she was she grew up in that era of Tab Hunter and Sal Salminio and you know all these these horrible right. boys in movies. You would he's the name that you would hear in other movies. Like who do you think you are
0: Tab Hunter or like you would he's like a Troy Donahue Tab hunter. You would hear them referenced but you didn't quite know what they were, at least for our generation. Yeah,
1: I, and, and I came into the party late, seeing yeah. it in polyester, which by the time I saw it, that movie was already you know 10 right. years old or something. So then um, I remember uh, living in San Francisco and, and shopping at thrift shops, and I, I found one of Tab's record albums at a thrift shop in San Francisco in probably the early 90s. Right. And flipping through the records, then I also found an album by Anthony Perkins. And I knew, somehow I knew that they were, were boyfriends, secret boyfriends. So I bought both of the albums and I put them And then up. you would make them make out? Well, <laughs> I put them up on my wall. It's like perfect bathroom art. Yeah. And I've had them in various bathrooms since the early 90s on my wall. And so Tab, I look at, I look at them every day, Tab right. and Tony too. And, um, but you, you didn't know that much about their work, but you knew that they were a couple. I knew just through the grapevine that right. there were rumors about them. And right. then Tab uh, wrote a book called Tab Hunter Confidential in the mid-2000s. And then he finally came out about everything because there were so many rumors and stories and who knows what's true and what isn't. So Tab decided he's going to tell the the real story. He's going to set the record straight. Love the book, love the book. And then making um, I Am Divine, of course we wanted to interview Tab for that film to talk about what it was like to work with Divine. And that's how I actually met him, through his partner, Alan Glasser, who's sort of the gatekeeper to everything Tab Hunter. So both Alan and Tab are in I Am Divine. And then... um, I re- ran into a friend of mine at a New Year's party named Neil Koningsberg, and I was telling him about how I just interviewed Tab for this movie. And he said oh, – and I said to, to Neil, wouldn't it be great to do a doc on Tab? And Neil said, well, as a matter of fact, we've been thinking about that because Neil was friends with Alan and Tab. Right. They were already thinking about a documentary and they were looking for somebody to make it. So it, it, it was literally just like running into a, a mutual friend at a New Year's party six years ago uh, and that's how it all sort of came together and we we spent you know a couple of years – doing what you do with any project, going to meetings and, and not hearing from the various uh, networks or other entities. And we just decided we're just going to make it ourselves after a couple of years, which is like the theme to all of these movies to just make it yourself. Just,
0: right. just green light your own. And every at the projects. end of every one, you're like, I'm not going to do that again next time. And then you do it. We've had this same, same conversation <laughs> probably
1: 57 times. We can't.
0: Times. I do, and I have the same equivalent of whatever it is in my life. It's either... You want to
1: do the thing. Well, with Tab, you know, we, we did go around and with, literally with Tab Hunter at these meetings and everyone loved the idea and loved the project. But, you know, it's it's just that usual thing of pitching. Like either they, they express a lot of interest and then you never hear. With a, do- with a feature, I think it's a little different. With a documentary, it's like, it's really tough because people don't really know how to ca- categorize a documentary. And there's a sense of like, it's not really a movie, you know, like what yeah. is it? So then we just decided to um, go our own way with it and we 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 did what i've done on the other films which is to to work with the international documentary association and as a fiscal sponsor and then we just started going around looking for millionaires yeah. to help us to to finance it did and you find some we did good and, and that's how the movie got made is like people just came aboard who are in Tab's orbit because people love this man. And they, they live in Santa Barbara in a very yeah. know, wealthy community. So, yeah. you know, a millionaire here, a millionaire there. And Oprah's then, down the street. I wish Oprah, uh, <laughs> well, actually, Ellen is their neighbor. Yes. They know Ellen. Porsche's in the movie. And Porsche's in the movie because Porsche and Tab, it's like very unlikely friendship because Porsche is a Portia horse de Rossi. person. Yeah. Porsche de Yeah. Porsche Rossi. She's a horse person. And Ellen, I don't know if Ellen's a horse person, but like riding horses and riding right. horses. And Tab is, that's his whole life, is horses. I mean, if if he had his way, our movie would have been all about him being a horseman. You know, right? He's, that's that's his his passion, and uh, that's what he does now. He re- basically lives his life in Santa Barbara with Alan. He rides his horse Harlow every day.
0: Yeah, that's well, that's life. kind of you get that at the end. That that's like like how he loves to spend his time. Portia's interesting because she was somebody in a similar position. That she was the kind of actor that would play leading ladies, or you know, she wasn't a character actress necessarily, but she. Was gay and you know what that means for a career. So she was able to speak to that a, f- a generation later, but it was it was really resonant.
1: Yeah, I'm glad that we have her in the film because she was a person who was at a certain point in her career closeted, known for her looks, yes, not, and also a fantasy for men. You know, so what would that for her to come out to kind of destroy that illusion? quote-unquote, destroy that illusion for a lot of men. But that was a similar situation with Tab because in the 50s, when he was at the height of his stardom, he was literally the most beautiful man in the world. Every girl in America, ask, ask anybody over a certain age who grew up with him, he was the fantasy figure. And he was the all-American boy. He was the perfect specimen of masculinity. And he was that was a character that he was right. playing. But it, it, the fascinating thing about that is that his agent was Henry Wilson, who was known... For creating these stars. Right. So his... Who had he done before? Uh, his big client was Rock Hudson. Right. So he would find these guys. He would groom them. He would give them a new name. So he was the one... Henry Wilson was the one who gave Rock Hudson his name. He gave... I hit, I hit your mic. It's okay. He was the one who gave Tab Hunter his name. Yeah. And was the one who who, who made him a star, really. Right. And um, he was a gay man himself, of course. Interesting. So, you know, so the, the ultimate... Paragons of American masculinity, Rock Hudson, Tab Hunter, a bunch of other guys too, Guy Madison, invented by a gay man.
0: Do you think that because some of these guys were gay, that they subconsciously connected in a way, in other words, women felt safe around them? Or was there a subtle thing of like, oh, I I can daydream about him because he's... A sweetheart or something.
1: In the fifties, I, I don't know that they were th- that they were thinking about the gay thing, but there obviously was something about tab that was that was safe, a sensitive side, sensitive to him, yeah. safe. He and and this was the fifties, so he was he did personify a certain type of. Um, naivete also uh, about you could uh, take him home uh, people, to mother and he that that was and all the women all the young girls loved him and their mothers loved him too because he was safe and he was the perfect guy that you could take home to meet right. your mother and he and we interviewed people in the film who dated tab at the time like debbie reynolds and right and uh people like that um and they loved him because as debbie says in the movie like he you know i felt safe with him because he he was never trying to Come on to me. Right. And they didn't know it was because he was gay, although one of them did. Right. Um, most of them had no clue. I mean, it was a complete uh, – one of the reasons I wanted to make the movie is to kind of get back into that mindset of the 1950s where, of course, there were gay people everywhere, but no one ever talked about it. So right. how did you navigate that public-private right. thing? And, um, of course, all the women loved Tab. And, and he, but he never – he played the game, but he never went to the extent of um, – he never got married. Marrying a woman for publicity like Rock Hudson did. I mean, he yeah. he thought about it, and we talk about that in the film. Yeah, there was a French that.
0: actress that he has a wonderful connection with. Yeah, I think th- that was a holy shit moment. I went, holy shit, French lady. That was a holy shit moment for us, too, that, that she was, first of all, still around. And, she us. And got said it. yes to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That and they so. had a real connection, even though they didn't speak the same language. They,
1: uh, yeah, this was Tab's co-star in a movie he did called Lafayette Escadrille. yeah that Clint Eastwood is in also actually, but he, they were, they were a screen couple. She didn't speak any English, literally at all. She was a, a French starlet. Right. She got cast in the movie. She did all her lines phonetically and they communicated, but not through language. They communicated with their eyes and their you know, beauty and their beauty. And they were gorgeous. And there's pictures of them together. They were the perfect couple. And he did think about, um, I mean, they were romantically involved yeah. in, in a, in a sense. Um, but uh, was it you know? Was it physical? I don't know. That's the one thing that he wouldn't answer. Really, in yeah. all your interviewing, he I wouldn't to, answer that. Yeah, and I I respect that because sure. he, he's very protective of. Of, yeah. um, of her and, and their, their relationship.
0: But you felt like if he was ever going to marry anyone, it would have been her.
1: Yeah, he said that. And, yeah. But he was also dating Tony Perkins at the same time. Yeah. So there's obviously there was tension there. Did you tell him about your um, album covers? He's seen the album covers. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, They're, you can look at them. They're I want to see it. We'll take a picture
0: and post it on the podcast. They're in the
1: bathroom right now, yeah.
0: At <laughs> one point in the movie, Tab says something like, it makes me uncomfortable when people carry on, meaning about his looks or whatever. And I thought you're fucked then because you're gorgeous and everyone's going to carry on every second.
1: It's the biology is destiny thing with Tad, certainly. Because if you look at him, even when he was a kid, beautiful kid, uh, we interviewed someone who went to junior high with him and he couldn't walk down the hall of junior high without girls literally going insane. So, of course, he was going to be a movie star and I don't think a lot of people were surprised when he did end up becoming a movie star. But that he had to overcome his looks because people... Happens to a lot of beautiful actors and actresses. They don't think there's anything there. They don't think there's anything under the surface. Yeah, and he really had to fight and prove that he was an actor. Yeah, you know, and he had to get he had to c- come to that conclusion himself. Where he was he was terrible. If you see clips in the film of him some of his early work, he was really really bad. How did he get better? Did he study? He worked. Yeah, he worked. I mean, we he did. um our Town. There's a whole sequence in the yeah. film of him doing Our Town, and the actress he played opposite uh, didn't want to work with him because he was a pretty boy. He was just a pinup guy. Yeah, but he worked, and she's sort of like the Obi Wan in the in the movie. She's the one who who brings him in and 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 works with him and, and gives him confidence. And then after he does Our Town, this play, that's when he felt like, okay, I want to do this. I don't want to just be a, a, a pin-up, I want to be an actor.
0: Yeah, if I'm going to do it, I want to make it real. And he did. How I was, I was trying to get a feel for how ambitious he was, because a lot of things just happened to him, and then he also seemed to, like, sort of reinvent himself and, and do different things to keep it going.
1: I don't know if ambition, it's interesting, because he's not one of those actors who, like, I must do this or I'm going I'm, right. to die. You know, it's, like, a lot of things did kind of happen to him, and he had to navigate that, and he was literally plucked from obscurity. He was, he was shoveling shit at a, 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 you know, at a, at a horse ranch, Literally, when, yes. when somebody saw him, his, his good friend Dick Clayton, who became his agent later right after Henry Wilson, like just saw him and said, did you ever think about being in the movies? And ta- it never really even had occurred to him. And I think he would have been very happy working in the horse world all his life, working in stables. But he was so good at so many things. He wasn't just a, a beautiful guy and a great actor, but he was a, a champion horseman. He was a champion ice skater. Yeah, also. I wrote,
0: holy shit, he yeah. can
1: skate. He could do anything. He, he was could
0: like, ice skate like a like a full on figure skater was that ever in a movie did he ever use that in a movie
1: he did um he did a tv show called Hans Brinker and the Silver Skates yeah, on tv a lot of tv and he got to sing and skate at, and act at the same time but yeah he was it's amazing like looking at all the things that he has achieved in his life classic overachieving closeted gay guy i think yeah. you know this way i see wants it. Like, to be the so, perfect boy so, so many people just yeah so many of us just want to be perfect and be good at everything and yeah he, he actually was good at everything
0: i wrote sophia loren holy shit because them two together because they were such opposites in terms of their coloring and their thing and their but they're both so beautiful together
1: yeah they did a movie together called that kind of woman which is not yeah. very known not, yeah. not a lot of people have seen it but if you ever get a chance to see that movie it's on turner classic movies all the time that's the thing with tab's movies like he doesn't, I guess probably Damn Yankees and Polyester might be yeah. his most famous movies, but none of them are like considered, you know, like a James Dean movie that's like, oh, this is a classic movie. Right. And I wish, I hope this movie reintroduces It made people. me want to walk, go back and look at yeah. some of them for sure. And also a movie like Gunman's Walk, which he did, which yeah. is a Western and he played a bad guy in that and totally redefined his screen image. You know, he's, he's terrific in so many films. So that's, that's what I'm excited to see about this film. Like people might get invested in knowing more about him and seeing his work. And that's, what's important to tab himself personally. Yeah. You know, cause he, he only had about 10 years there where he did all this stuff and then it right. was over. And then it's like a lot of the movie is what happens after. Yeah. Nobody's chasing you down the street anymore. And, yeah, you, can't, and when, you can't get a job. Yeah. When people, when people quit carrying on. Right. Um, how many sit down <laughs> interviews did you do with him? With Tab, we we interviewed him, um, I think it was like six or seven sessions. And some of them were like short sessions and some of them were like five-hour sessions. Wow. So it was over the course of a few months, mostly up in in Santa Barbara in his home. And we did some- He has a beautiful home, home. by the way. Yeah. He lives in Santa Barbara, a beautiful place. Um, He doesn't want to be anywhere near LA. Right. He's been through it. Um, Yeah. So the interviews were were marathon sessions because you, you don't really know what the emphasis is going to be in the film. So I just wanted to get everything- And for him, it's like, it's not, he's not comfortable really. Well, he says early on, this is the most open I've ever been with
0: anyone. So was it a challenge to get him to open up? Did you feel like, oh, I want to, I need to ask this, but I don't feel like he's feeling it today or like, how was
1: that for you as an interview? It was challenging because I think if he hadn't written the book, it would have been a lot more challenging because he's been out of the closet since the book came out. So he's sort of. That that was his trial by by fire, and that was not easy for him, I'm sure. But now it's it's so it was a little easier for him to talk about it. But he's still not comfortable talking about it. Yes, he's openly gay, but it's not. He was he's from a completely different world, a different generation, and there are just certain things you don't talk about. Yeah. So I kept going there and trying to go there, and he would actually say to me a lot of the times, "It's none of your business," in a kind of half joking way, right? You know, or he'd say, "You know, you're going into an area I'm not comfortable with," but. I just, you know, you just keep going, yeah. you keep going and then make him comfortable. And it is called Tab Hunter Confidential. And, you, yeah. you know, the whole point of it is you really want to get to know who he was and what his struggles were and how he came out the other side as a happy, healthy survivor. Yeah. So, yeah, it certainly was a challenge. And there were some pl- places like Achika Shiro and wanting to know you know, some more that's the French details. That's, yeah. And he, yeah. And he, he, he was not comfortable yeah. because he's very protective yeah. of, of the women that in his life, you know, which I, re, I totally respect that. So, um, but I do think at the end of the day, he, he was as, as open and, and honest as he possibly could be, which is so impressive for some, an 83 year now he's 83 year old man, whose entire livelihood career depended on him just being uh, tight lipped about his private life. Yeah, and it's he's not. This is not his world. The 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 Twitter, Facebook, everything. Right. You know, taking pictures of your food and you know yeah. broadcasting your inner feelings to the world. It's not his. It's not. What, it's not what world. he's about. So, and I I respect that, and that's refreshing in this day and age. That you know, privacy to him is is paramount. Now
0: I know his partner is one of the producers, Alan Glasser. Alan Glasser. How involved were they with cuts? Would would you show them cuts, and how
1: how did that work? Definitely. I mean, Alan. This movie wouldn't exist without Alan. Alan has been um, with Tab since the early '80s. They met when Alan was like 23, and Tab was—he was younger. He was like 21. 21. Tab was
0: 51. But what stuck out to me is um, Alan was working at a studio. Alan, How do you
1: get that job at a studio when you're in your early 20s? He was like a wonderkin, you know. He and he loved movies and the history of movies, and he knew all about old Hollywood. So at Fox, one of his jobs was to help to. Um, to write synopses, synopses of their old catalog stuff, and okay. and to help bring those movies into circulation. So he uh, and he was also in development. So Tab went to Fox to pitch a movie, Lust in the Dust, Lust in the Dust, which they ended up making. Actually, yeah. that's all in the movie, in yeah. our movie. But they met, and uh, I don't think Alan and Alan was. young. I don't think Alan had ever even had a boyfriend. You know, he right? Was, he was um, he got a really young guy, and and Tab started pursuing him. So it's a real, it's a great love story, and yeah. they've been together. All these years. And Alan is Tab's champion. You know, Tab couldn't care less if anybody remembers him. I don't know if it's true, but that's what he says. Right. Alan will not let Tab be forgotten. And he has been collecting Tab. Like when they met, Tab didn't have anything. from No mementos of his career. Um, No press kits. No photos. No scripts. No nothing. And Alan spent the last 30 years recollecting everything. So he has a whole... They call it Villa Debris in the backyard. He literally has... Villa Debris? Villa Debris. He uh, literally has a giant storage container filled with Tab memorabilia that he's collected personally over the years through auctions and eBay and all all that stuff. Wow. And so by the time we were ready to start making the movie, you know, usually when you make these, you have to go to this archaeological dig to find material. He had everything. He gave me like cartons of every single movie Tab was in, every single TV show he appeared in. We had to find a few things that he didn't have. But he he's been he's been waiting for this movie to be made yeah. maybe unconsciously for decades. So um, Alan, yeah, I, he we, this movie would not be in the world if it wasn't for him. What surprised you most about Tab? Um, what surprised me most about Tab um, was the fact that he still maintains this sense of propriety. That you know you think like okay, well, okay, he's eighty three. Um, there's still there's still like a shyness and a humbleness about him that I was surprised by because a lot of stars like you'd think that um, they don't give they a don't fuck anymore. anymore yeah and but the thing about talking about his private life it was like he was reopening this this um these feelings that he hadn't thought about in a long long time so I was surprised at how dif- I I guess I was surprised at how difficult it was for him and how and I was really touched that he shared himself with with me but not but with the world you know talking about can you imagine being on camera and, and talking about a boyfriend you had when you were 20 years old, you know, right. and reopening that or having your ex-boyfriend be interviewed about you. Yeah. <laughs> like we interviewed Neil Norlag, who was his partner for like seven years or so right. in, a, in a in the 60s, you know? So like, I, I don't know. I, I was, I was surprised and, um, and I don't feel really grateful to him yeah. because he, he, he let us in. Did you ever bicker about anything? Did you ever disagree about anything? With Tab? Yeah. Or either of them? I mean, it's a process, and there are things in the movie that we had conversations with, like you do with any producer. The funny thing, though, is, like, I was saying that the horses are so important to Tab. One of the things that was the most important to Tab was, like, which photos we use of him on which horse and what his seat was like on the horse. Right. I wouldn't know what a proper seat is on a horse, but we had footage of him winning some um, horse uh, competition recently, and I had a shot in there of him, which I thought was great. He looked great. He looked like just heroic on the yeah. He hated the shot because his seat was wrong. Right. That's so not the like, right shot for yeah, that race. Exactly. You got to go like seven seconds before when I'm coming around that corner, my, that's the one I want. So that's what's in the movie. Wow. So that was the kinds of things that were important to him. And, I, you know, I, I I have a lot of respect for both of them because they, you know, we start the movie with a very dark thing that happens to Tab where he's arrested. Yes. By it, the LAPD. I we, believe I wrote the words opening is gangbusters. Well, that's, thank you for that. Um, I'm glad because... Tab was like, "Well, it was nothing. It was just like a party I went to, and, and there was nothing going on. But that could have ruined his life. He was he. This was the time when gay people were being persecuted by the LAPD. It was illegal for gay people to con- congregate. It was per- perversion, right? And so, um, it was called vagrancy, lewd behavior. And
0: then he when was, it was written about later in Confidential, it was like limp wristed pajama limp wristed
1: party. pajama party. Yeah, he was. Yeah. You know, he he thought this incident would go away. Yeah, and then years later, after he became a star. He was sort of outed in in flowery language in the scandal magazine Confidential. So um, you know, with Tab, he he tries to downplay everything. But to me, that's so dramatic. So we start the movie with that, and I'm just really grateful that they let me make bold choices like that. Yes, because um, you know, in Tab's mind, oh, it's in the past, it's done. Who really cares? That's his attitude. So, right, but I I think it's well amazing. Something that you
0: do in all of your movies and why it's so important what you do is that you remind us what it was like for gay people at this point in history, or whether it was Vito's time in history or Divines, or like it was a different time. And you know, with the acceptance growing, and we still have a long way to go. I think sometimes you forget when you see people hauled off in a in a police van. That's and that's. Like, holy shit, you know, that
1: happened. That's, I think that's probably why I wanted to make the movie in the first place was really to look at the closet. Right. And what, what that was like for gay people in the fifties and especially somebody like Tab who's under a microscope and he's yeah. living his life in public. But he, his relationships that he was having outside of the, the glare of the paparazzi and the fan magazines were just as fascinating and romantic as any of the fake stories that were happening, right. you know this story with him and Ronnie Robertson, the the famous ice skater yes. that he had a relationship with, or Tony Perkins, just as just as scintillating and interesting as the fake stories.
0: You mentioned Ronnie the skater. There was some incident where Ronnie was competing, and they didn't want Tab to even be there, that it would hurt his
1: scores. Something like, that's what I got from it. You Is know, that Ro- right? Ronnie Robertson was a, a skater, a champion ice skater, uh, and Tab and him were were are boyfriends, secret boyfriends, and um, you know Ronnie was gonna. I don't want to give away all the stuff in the movie, but right. Ronnie was gonna compete in the world championships, and he was told not to bring tab because it would just it would look bad, you know. And, and, and people Ronnie, would talk. People would talk, and Ronnie was really defiant and cocky, and he brought tab to the championships, and I won't tell you what happened. Right. But, but um, you know they had to. I I just think people need to understand. You know, when older people sometimes are critical. Tab was criticized for not being out for many years, you know? And I think there probably be people now who would say, well, why didn't you come out earlier? Why didn't you come out in the 70s? Or, you know, or why didn't you come out in the 80s? And he's just a product of a different time, a yeah. different mentality. And I totally understand him wanting to keep things private when he was um, uh, grew up in a time where you could be, you're, you know, you could not, you literally couldn't be openly gay. People ask, well, why couldn't he just come out? I mean, it it's, would have been impossible. It would have been like... Um, taking poison you know really would 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 have would have ruined your chances for employment you basically be admitting that you're a criminal and because uh, it was against the law and add to the fact that he's also a devout catholic that's another yes and that comes it. in again he's really there's a nun in your piece there's a nun in the movie yes I there's love that. a nun in the movie who used to be an actress there's another movie about her she yeah. made a movie with elvis and Oh, I remember. She was yeah. playing the festival circuit. That's that Mother Dolores Hart, who yeah. was an actress and did photo sessions with Tab, and was one of those women who Tab appeared in the in the magazines with. And she has her own story. But yeah, she one of the things I'm really uh, proud of in the movie is that we do talk about spirituality. And Tab is so full of contradictions. Like he's uh, gay and Catholic, and he's found a way to embrace the spiritual um, when he gets spiritually from the church, but to kind of ignore all the condemnations. Right. You know, but he is, you know, he wears the St. Christopher medal around his neck. He goes to church every single Sunday. He's very seriously devout Catholic. So I, I, I'd i like people who are um, in that community to see this film, you know, because that might change their point of view on gay people in some way, you know, that there can be like gay, uh, evangelical um, religious people don't own spirituality. They don't right. own it. And Tab's one of those people that,
0: That That illustrates that. Illustrates that
1: he lives his life openly and he's also a devout Catholic. It's interesting because watching this,
0: I've sort of changed my point of view on actors coming out or not coming out. I remember like when Rupert Everett sort of came out and and he thought, "If, if my career is that fragile, then maybe I don't want it or whatever. And I thought, well, maybe it's not that fragile. And now I think, no, it is that fragile. It really is. Like, And it's not just coming out. Anything can ruin anything. And there was a moment in the movie where... Tab made a decision that he later called career suicide. And it wasn't having to do with the sexuality, but he made a decision. And before, when he was talking about making it, I thought he'll be fine. You can do one thing and just, yeah. it'll be over. It can really be over. So I can understand why someone that's been through those kind of ups and downs would be like, why throw another log on that fire?
1: Well, get, I, I mean, got horses to feed. I, he does. And I, <laughs> I think this is, this is probably something that's going to come up as, as this film is released. I mean, the question of being out, or, or not being out. Now, I think people will not necessarily... I'm sure there's this still happens where a gay or lesbian actor will, will have, you know, uh, pseudo-romantic relationships just for the press. And that, I think there's probably less of that. Now the now the thing is, I just don't talk don't about, talk it, about right. it. I don't talk about it. Which yeah, yeah. means they're gay. I mean, right, you know. right, right. But then, you know, and I love people like Jonathan Groff, who's openly gay movie star. But then I see him in American Sniper and I'm like, oh, wait a minute, he... That's the guy from Looking. That's the guy who's openly gay. Like, and I'm a gay person and I think that. So what are, what is general, what is the rest yeah. of America going to think, you know?
0: I was so happy when he popped in, up in that movie because I remember watching that movie. It, it was before anyone was talking about it. It was an early screening. It wasn't on, wasn't really being talked about. And I really liked it. I was really like pulled into it and I, I thought it was well made. And, but I thought, wow, there's no, there's, I'm not in this movie anywhere. I don't need to be, but I'm not. And then Jonathan Groff showed up and I'm like, I am in here a little bit in a way. I had, it was like a, and he had a humanity to him and a sweetness. Like he wasn't trying to butch up or he was just, he was just, what am I? I don't know. I was happy to see him in there and I love that scene that he had.
1: I thought that was a great scene too but then my mind goes to be like, oh, that's a gay character. But it's not a gay character. It's not a gay character. Oh, it might be but it's not, it's not written that way or yeah. acted that way or He talked
0: about having kids or anything yeah. but it's ah. just him. But because he's out and because he's open or whatever, it was really heartening. I love when he popped up in that movie.
1: It's different for every actor, and Tab would probably say that and people have asked him, you know, advice on on being oh if she should be out or not and, and his feeling is like it, it's your own, every actor's different. And yeah. there's just a lot of gay actors who come like you know they're gay the minute they open their mouth. You know right. I and mean, there's some that are I don't know. I I don't want to get in trouble like Russell Tovey just did. I know. You know? But, uh, I know. I read that whole thing and I,
0: I see both sides of it. I think he, I don't know. I think he was sort of saying, the kind of roles that I'm playing now, I probably wouldn't be playing if I had followed that other path. Not that there's anything good or bad about those other paths, but do you, do you but know he what I'm taught saying? taught
1: himself to be butch. Is that what he was saying? That he, like he, and that somehow that... His, that-
0: because his father sort of made him do yeah. that. And the- I
1: think having that serves him... Well, that, in goes his by, career. that goes back to career. I buy that. Well, like Jack Wrangler. I mean, he he was a sissy kid. You know, his yeah. father called him a sissy. His father was very demanding and made him you know swim laps in the pool and, and butch up, butch up. So he grew up with that. I think even Tab too has a sense that like he's he is openly gay, but he's certainly not waving a rainbow flag. You know, right? And I think there is maybe a sense of um a, a lot of guys look on look down on effeminate. Gay guys. Yeah. It's just the fact. And Tab didn't read gay on screen. You know, there was um if you look at some of the other uh actors who we now know are gay, maybe you can see it more. I don't know. Like I never really saw it with Rock Hudson. No. But um, maybe Salminio. Maybe so or Montgomery Cliff, I can kinda yeah. of see it.
0: I can yeah. now
1: that we know. But um I don't know, every actor's different. But not every, every actor's gonna be a leading man either.
0: Yeah. Russell Tovey stepped in it, for sure. He but started, I kind of saw what he was saying. I understand what I, you're saying. I'm not, not going to shun him if I see him at Trader Joe's. I'm <laughs> I, fine.
1: He apologized, too. Yeah,
0: no, of course. Um, let me see what else I have here. Um, so the Tony per- Perkins they met at the
1: Chateau. Tony, so much stuff went down at the Chateau. I know. Well, Tony, uh, Tony that's a big uh, part of the movie, is Tony Perkins and Tad meeting and having a, a secret relationship. And... Um, And it was interesting because Tab at that time when they met, he was already a big movie star and Tony was just, he just made one of his first movies, if not his first movie in Hollywood. And he was a respected Broadway actor and kind of Tony saw Tab and wanted that. He wanted to be a movie star. And Tab saw Tony and wanted the respect that Tony was getting as an actor. So they, that kind of, they kind of, and they were total opposites. Right. And, um, that's all in the movie too. And I'm so glad that's in the, in the movie. Um, and, and Tony, you know, they went their different paths. I mean, Tab, um, is, is with with was, was with Alan for many many years. Tony got married to a woman, yeah, and, and had kids, and had kids, and was a great dad, and had a great family life. But we know now also struggled with his sexuality. I don't think it's any secret. I mean he he went to therapy to try to overcome being gay, like a lot of people did, um, and he did not accept that part of himself. And Tab, you know, for however he did it, he he found peace. Right. With his identity. He reconciled. He He had integrity. And um, not that Tony didn't, you know, because like we wanted to be very sensitive about that in the film. And we do acknowledge what happened later to Tony and being married and having a family life. And and Tab didn't go down that road. But we didn't want to like... This is the way to be and this is not the way to be. we really didn't want to say one was better than the other. But I just find it fascinating that these two men, I just wish Tony was was still here. I I would love to have um, seen what would have happened to Tony many years later, you know? Yes. When you start a documentary, what's the first thing you do? Um, that is, I don't know. It probably starts like twenty years ago. Somehow, yeah. it starts with an obsession. You go through to a thrift shop. Somewhere. It start yeah. It starts with an obsession. All of these movies start started with with an obsession. You know, with, in the case of Vito, I was coming out, and the first thing I did was read the Silent Closet. Right. You know, because that combined my my love of movies with kind of a new uh, excitement about you know finding myself represented on film, and then. You know, years later, working on um, the documentary, that's kind of where it all started. It Was just right. falling in love with Vito, working on the original um, documentary, the Cellular Closet, like going to San Francisco. You worked with the you you consulted, or you were an assistant? Yeah, what was, was your first, role on that? It was my first job after college. Really, yeah. I, I was reading in um, the Advocate in the um, early '90s that Rob Epstein and Jeffrey Friedman were going to be making a documentary based on the book. Vito right. had just passed away. And that was their mission to make the movie. And I just called them. I was living, I just graduated college and I called Robin Jeffrey's office and said, I need to work on this movie. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll sweep the floors, whatever. And I ended up moving to San Francisco to work on that movie. Wow. And they brought me on first as just an intern, you know, once or twice a week. And then uh, and then it kind of progressed until they got funding for the movie and hired me as an apprentice editor. Wow. So I was working the night shift and this building on Dolores Street, right across the street from the the Ab, that church that's in Vertigo, mm-hmm. where where Jimmy Stewart goes and looks at the gravestones, that's that's was right opposite the, their office. So I, I got to work on this movie and uh, the night shift and work with Rob and Jeffrey, who I have enormous respect for. And Rob made my favorite documentary, The Times of Harvey Milk, and right. learned so much from that. And met Arnie Glassman, who was one of the the co-editor of that film, who became kind of a mentor. And I, I just learned. Everything about storytelling in documentary form through, through, through these guys. And um, and that was, you know, 20 years ago. And then getting to make the documentary about Vito, it had its roots in that. Because of course. Because listening to all of Vito's um, audio cassettes of all his interviews he did with people for the book and for his journalism. And then long interviews that Robin Jeffrey had done with Vito. So I, I got to know this guy who had just passed away just a few months before I got there. Yeah. And his spirit was still in that office. And it was literally... Something that Robin Jeffrey promised Vito on their on his deathbed, literally, that they would that they make would a make, movie about. They it. would make the film because when Vito was alive, they were trying to get that film off the ground, and they finally um, uh, did make it with HBO. And um, I was so that they would make the celluloid closet. They would film. make the celluloid right, closet, right, right. And, and HBO came on board. They they did a whole um, fundraising effort in the community, like pre Kickstarter. They pre Kickstarter. They sent out. Uh, through direct mail letters to everybody they possibly could to make donations. And that's how the film got off the ground. And then HBO came on board with the finishing funds. And, um, that movie came out. I can't believe it's 20 years ago, 1995, the film came out and, um, that's what led to Vito. Yeah. I love that. So one of the things I was
0: also thinking about, uh, tab was seeing John Waters pop up and remembering he made those John Waters movies for somebody that seemed safe in certain areas of his life. To say, oh, I'm gonna go work with John Waters. Well Tab and I'm not only just gonna work with him, I'm gonna really like he got behind Lust he made Lust in the Dust happen. Like he was the driving force. That marriage
1: of creative people is really intriguing. He made me. out with Divine in yeah. Polyester. Tab Hunter, who I think that that would have been unthinkable years before. But at that point in his career, this was like probably nineteen eighty they made that movie, it came out right. in eighty one. He was doing dinner theater. Nobody wanted to hire him. He was yeah. doing, you know, movie here and there, but mostly he was Kind of forgotten. And when, when John called him, for John, it was like a major, major coup to get Tab Hunter. Of course. And it's Tab, the
0: perfect John Waters casting.
1: It was perfect. And, and John plays with Tab's image. And, and I, I think they never discussed it, but I'm sure T- John Waters knew Tab was gay. And to put him opposite Divine playing love scenes was just so perfect. And and Tab treated Divine just with just as much respect and admiration for, for his talent as he would a Sophia Loren. You know, and, and they have great scenes together, they have great chemistry. And Tab loved the experience. And he, he was so game for it. That's what game. surprises me a little bit. And he had no idea that, that that's probably the movie that most people, at least of our generation, know yeah. Tab from. It's from Polyester, which surprised him. I mean he if you look on Tab's website, that's like the main image. It's yeah. like him and Dan Yankees and him and Polyester.
0: Yeah. I also loved the shots of him when he started his recording career. It just, yeah, he could sing too. He sang too. He had number one records and stuff. But he would sing and then there would be this moment where he would get a little shy because he knew they were going to start sc- screaming and then they would start screaming. It was almost like, he was almost musically blushing. That was, was real too. Like yeah, that- you could see that he was kind of like... Like, he was a little awkward about it, but he also knew it was going to happen. It was really charming. He, but he
1: did it, like, a few times in the movie. That, like, boy next door thing and the back It's very I off- wrote The down. That's real. That's not an act. And yeah. now having known him, he's, he's really still like that. He is very shy. He does not like to be in the public eye. I'll be curious to see what it will be like for him to go out on the circuit with this movie and have that microphone shoved in his face right. again after all these years. Like, it's just not, as he says, it's not his comfort zone to, to do that. Is he sort of gearing up for it? Yeah, I mean... Because you guys are premiering when? South by Southwest? Yeah, we're premiering. Our world premiere South by Southwest. I'm leaving next week for that. And Tab and Alan and our whole team, uh, Neil, our other producer, Neil Konigsberg and John Picardo, our other producer, we're all going to, uh, to Austin, Texas. And keep it weird, keep, keep it weird. weird. I love it. And Tab, you know, he he's going to be thrown into this craziness and I'm excited to see I'm excited to see an audience embrace him again if they already yeah. know him and most people don't know him. So it'll really be an introduction to this guy. And then we're going to um London right after that with the wow. whole team is going to London.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, now,
1: when you go to Austin, have
0: you ever tried to see the bats that fly out from under the bridge?
1: I did see the bats, actually. It's really cool. I was cool.
0: underwhelmed by the bat. I think it wasn't a great bat night the night I went, but it was still fun to go try to see the bats. I
1: went there a few years ago with another project, and, and we did. We went on the tour and on the water and saw the bats, and it was super cool. But I don't I don't know if we're going to do it this time. When they only come out, like, once a year. Right? I don't
0: know. It's like, it's the thing you do. I also went to Barton Springs. Have you been there? What's that? It's a swimming hole. It's an old oh. school swimming hole. And it's really cool. It's like a Mountain Dew commercial come to life. And it's always like the same temperature they said, the water.
1: Which is cold, but like you can do it. Maybe we'll have to uh yeah. we'll have to get tab to reenact oh the my famous gosh. shot of him coming out of the water in oh. his, his speed Did he
0: work hard on his body or was he just one of those guys that did 10 push-ups when they were a sophomore in high school and they just took? That was like
1: pre-gym culture. So yeah, I think but it's like a natural thing for him. I mean yeah. the, he's just a very naturally athletic. Uh, and, but yeah, he's, he's, he's a, he's a god. You look at him and he's a god. I have a few pictures of him working out and stuff, but I don't think people really did that. They just lived their life and they were fit and, and he just, you know, he swimming and horseback riding and ice skating and all this stuff just made him uh, a perfect specimen.
0: Yeah. Um, making a documentary, it seems like it's like a jigsaw puzzle, like deciding what order, what goes where, how do you
1: do it? Is it, how do you approach the work? Is that an interesting metaphor? I think that – I've said that before too, the jigsaw puzzle. I think that's a really good metaphor. It's mostly in the editing process. And, yeah. Um, and I love editing. Um, and I you know edited this one. this one yourself. I did. And it's sort of like you have this jigsaw puzzle with 10,000 pieces but no picture – uh, on the box yeah, to follow. No, yeah. So a lot of it is just, um, and I have that kind of OCD mind. I love to organize and put things where they belong, you know? And so, um, I love the editing process and it's just getting things to click into place and then looking at the big picture. I mean, our first cut was, I don't know, we, uh, you start with basically the selects of the interviews that it was like six or eight hours. Wow. Just, I mean, how, and what do you, what's important? What, what is moving the story forward? And what is just trivia, you know? That was the thing. Like, it had to have heart, and it had to be about his journey of self acceptance and self discovery. So, if it didn't relate to that theme, it had to go. So, we lost a lot of really. What interesting was something?
0: Things. What was a baby you had to
1: kill? There's one um, incident that Tab uh, 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 appeared on Broadway for the first time opposite Tallulah Bankhead.
0: Holy smokes! That must
1: have broke your gay heart. It's an incredible story. That he got asked by Tony Richardson to go to Broadway to appear in The Milk Train Doesn't Stop him Here Anymore by Tennessee, Tennessee Williams. Williams. And he played opposite to Little Bankhead. And it's, a, it's a, a jaw-dropping saga. But it happened to coincide in our movie with this, the lowest point in his life where he has been um, – uh, his movie career is kind of over. and He doesn't know what he's going to do. And he goes to Broadway. So it didn't really fit. Because we wanted to kick him when he was down at that point in the movie. So we had a great sequence, but it it just had to go. And Another one where he was accused of beating his dog, and it went to trial in Glendale. Uh, His neighbors were... were, uh, He turned down a dinner invitation by one of his neighbors, so then they wanted revenge. So they accused him of beating his dog, which, of course, he would never do in a million years. But it actually made the papers, and it went to trial. There was literally a trial in Glendale of Tab beating his dog, and they called witnesses, and eventually he was found innocent, but that was, that made the tabloid. That was the, uh, I don't know what the latest tabloid thing is now, but that was the tabloid story of the week. And It was a great story, but it had to go. Yeah. Crazy. Um, what's the
0: hardest part about what you do?
1: The hardest part of what I do, I mean, it, it's with any creative project. Now we, we've talked about this so much. It's yeah, you know, who's going to pay for it. Right. You know, I mean, it's not needlepoint. This stuff costs money. This is right. expensive. This is an expensive hobby. Not a hobby, but it's an expensive um, undertaking. undertaking. and uh, you just have to find people who believe in what you're doing. Right. And um, sometimes that means uh, uh, being very humble and with your hat in your hand. I mean, it's a lot of it is. Documentaries aren't financed the same way that feature films are. And it seems
0: that no matter how successful you are, it's always the same story. It's not like you make a a killer documentary, and the next thing you get is the X-Men movie version of documentary. You know what I mean? It seems like it's always that.
1: It's kind of starting from scratch again every time. And the documentary, you kind of make them in stages, so you can, you can raise enough to do the development, which actually doesn't really get funded, the development process. It's usually, any documentary you see is usually the filmmaker who just starts making it. Right. And then along the way... You find people who want to support what you do, and that could be in the form of you know, uh, just helping you in whatever way you need help. Uh, could be financial help. It could be uh, a, a Kickstarter campaign. I mean that's – You did you one of those them, for I Am Divine. Which we did. I mean it's it, the, the financing of this stuff is, is always probably the hardest yeah. part, and it's keeping the faith because they all take seven years. I mean, when people talk to me about documentary, I say, are you ready to give up your life for seven years? Cause it's going to take you seven, five to seven years. That's wow. the average length for all the films I've made. And wow. they've all kind of overlapped.
0: Yeah. There's been like the
1: one would come to the fore. What's your favorite part? Uh, my favorite, I love the editing. I love kind of piecing it together and solving that puzzle. But my favorite thing is the, is the moment where you're sitting in that audience and you hear the response for the first time, like going to the Castro theater and sitting in the audience uh, when Vito played at the Castro theater or when it played at Outfest, opening night of Outfest. That was awesome. i was so proud
0: of you. It was like one of your friends won the Oscar. It
1: was, oh, my friend just won an Oscar last week, Tom Cross, for editing uh, Whiplash. Oh, awesome. So that that happens. He
0: deserved it. That movie was so well edited. Anyway.
1: So that's, for me, like, it's like the, the culmination of all this work. And, um, and you just want to share, the whole point of it is to share your obsession and to share you, this love you have of these people and the stories they have to tell and what they've had to overcome with an audience who can relate to it. And I, I, I hope that people related to Vito, and, and I think they will definitely relate to to Tab and have all the things he had to overcome. So that's that's for me like it makes it all worthwhile to sit. And you know the San Francisco audiences. I mean, yeah. at the Castro, I was like
0: they're overwhelmed, so into it unless they're not into it, and then that's well, bad.
1: We've seen that. We've, we've seen that happen. <laughs> to one of your movies? Not my movies, but I, I was at a screening once. I can say because everyone knows this story about a movie called Frisk. Yeah. At the Castro. And it was, I think it was opening night. That's a,
0: is that Bruce LeBruce?
1: No. Um, it was a movie by Todd Varro. Oh, it was yeah, yeah. based on a Dennis Cooper book. Very dark yeah. material. Yeah. Uh, not what the people uh, at the Castro on opening night of Frameline wanted to see. Because it's very dark. People get, you know, terrible things happen to people. And it's not, uh, you know, a, a happy go lucky movie. Yeah. And um, pretty quickly into the movie, when people realized it was not the movie they wanted to see, they right. started turning on it. Oh, shit. And you know how they like to hiss up there. They were walking out in droves. It was really amazing to witness. That movie didn't deserve that reaction, frankly. But but when they don't like something, they'll let you know. So when they do like something, that's pretty gratifying because you don't want them to turn on you. Um, We screened
0: testosterone up there, the movie I co-wrote with David Morton. I remember the Q&A. We were up there. And, like, the first question was, like, why do you hate women, or <laughs> something like that? Why do you hate women? Uh, well, I made a, since the, I didn't know then why, but I've thought about it since, and I have a list, and I will post it when I see fit on Facebook. You don't hate women, yeah? You left Facebook and then you came back. Oh
1: yeah, I did. I, went, I left. Well, you got Facebook a you got for... a
0: you got a movie to come yeah. Out. I mean, I have you mixed feelings about it. it I can see it.
1: I kind of just wanted after making divine. I I was I just wanted to. Put my head down and, and get to work. Yeah. And, you know, Facebook. What did you call it on your last podcast of procrastination? The master... Oh, master Procrasturbation. Pro, Procrasturbation. Pro, 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 yeah. So for me, you know, it's like we all have this thing where we yeah. want to just click onto something to waste time. Yeah. It, that's Facebook. is yeah. evil yeah. in that way. But, um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I got back on there. You're and, back on. It's okay. That's the way it has to be.
0: All right. What was the biggest coup you had when you were making your movie? What you're like, I can't believe we got...
1: You mean... For Tab. Tab, yeah. I think it was getting a Chica Chirot, his um, co-star in France. Did you go there to France? Um, we, I did it over Skype, actually, because um, we set so up they, the crew, and, yeah. and I had questions, and I was I was clicked in on Skype, and the, her daughter asked the questions, and I was there, and I was able to talk Interpret. to her then. So it just saved us a few thousand dollars to, yeah. to do it that way, and it looks great. And um, it was great because her daughter was able to, you know, there was instant trust there, of course, because there was her daughter was asking. Yeah, that was a major, major coup was to get her. Probably the biggest coup. And the other coup. Also, it's amazing when you see somebody
0: young and beautiful, and you wonder, I wonder what they are. And then you're like, they got him! Oh my god! You yeah, know, that
1: was that was great to get yeah. her. And also the the woman who went on a date who won a date with Tab Hunter in the fifties. Yeah, uh, she was a teenage girl from middle of the country, and she wrote a fan letter and and won a date, and she got to fly to Hollywood and had this amazing time. And Tab kissed her on the cheek, and she was just in heaven. And we found her. Oh and flew gosh. her out to LA. And How did you, read, you find her, Alan? Uh, she wrote a, uh, a letter to uh, some nostalgia magazine about that whole experience, and yeah. Alan read the letter and then just tracked her down and right flew on. her out to LA. Yeah, it was like I don't think she'd been to LA since that moment where she met Tab and had the date with Tab. Now you seem to have
0: you seem to be a, a bit compelled to tell these stories about gay culture and gay history while we still can. Is that, is that a fair read? Because there, there's things of like, if I don't tell the story, it's going to probably get lost. And I'm, I'm going to do that. And I really admire that.
1: I think that's true. I mean, we, uh, you know, we're not taught this stuff in school. We, right. we never, I never learned about gay liberation in school. I mean, so I felt like, for example, making Vito, that was a way to tell the story of gay liberation from Stonewall through ACT UP through Vito's point of view. So you fall in love with Vito and you're along on his journey right. and he's making history and he's also um, a witness to history. And so now that film exists, it's in the world and it's now being distributed to high schools, um, to gay straight alliances across the country by yeah. Frameline. Frameline has this program called the youth in motion. So the film now, any gay straight alliance can just call up Frameline yeah. and they'll get the movie. And that was what we always wanted. We just, we really especially wanted younger generations to turn on to, um, to our history uh, so yeah, I, I think that's probably part of the motivation, and I, I I've just fallen in love with these people. You know, I was so sad that um, you know when somebody like Leonard Nimoy passes away, and I, I just feel like I wish there yeah. had been a film about him because there's he's so fascinating and there's so much to talk about. Right, and that's another person that's like known for this one thing, but there's so much more that you that you, you yeah. you'd want to know, um, and and that opportunity is is gone. You know, but yeah. then we have films like the George Decay film that just came out. And there's so many films where you, you're able to, um, to sit down with these people while they still can and and share their life. And I didn't get to do that with divine, you know, or, yeah. uh, or um, William Castle, Jack Wrangler. Thank God I, I was able to interview him and make the film about him. Cause he passed away right after the movie was finished. Wow! He, he got to see the, uh, the last cut of it on, literally in, in his hospital bed and I hate to say, but he's a deathbed, he watched the movie. Wow. And he loved it. But by the time we were out on the festival circuit, he was too ill to travel, and then he passed away. But that story and Margaret Whiting, his wife, yes, also passed singer, away. Yeah. yeah. And so they're both gone. But the movie is, is Lives still on. there. The movie's still there. So that's really gratifying to me. And in the case of Vito, or any of the films I've made, so many more people now know that story that wouldn't have. And Vito now, part of the motivation of making it also was to kind of put him back. Um, in the pantheon of of LGBT heroes. And I do see now more references to him in the media and the Vito Russo Award that Glad gives out. Like I don't think a lot of people knew who Vito Russo was. Even the people who got the award didn't necessarily know who he was. And now there's this film that can talk about what an impact that he had. And that feels great. I took
0: my friend Zayd, who's from Jordan, to see your movie at Outfest, and he was just knocked out by it because it's a whole different world and and it was he was really inspired by it he wouldn't he, he wouldn't stop talking about what uh that that man mm-hmm. how that man affected him that man's life.
1: the my favorite um moment for uh, after Vito came out was at that Frameline premiere there was a kid in the audience who raised his hand at the Q&A and he was See young kid he's probably about seventeen or eighteen, and he was wearing rainbow everything right. <laughs> rainbow shirt rainbow necklace rainbow everything and he said um i 'm seventeen, I just came out. my mother brought me here to introduce me to this community and twenty four hours ago I had never heard of Vito Russo, and today I have a new hero
0: <gasps>
1: that was the best thing ever mm. and that was that's what makes it for me that 's what makes it all all worthwhile you know because uh and now that um that this film is being distributed to high schools, that's, that's, that's really, like, for me, it's like that's, that was the mission. And that has been accomplished. So that's, that feels great.
0: What's the coolest thing that you've gotten to experience because of your work? Ending up somewhere or being invited to do something
1: yeah, that you would um, never have thought? I went to Jakarta, Indonesia. Wow. For my first doc called Spine Tingler, it was about a, a 1950s horror movie director named William Castle who right. directed The Tingler with Vincent Price and House on Haunted Hill, and he produced Rosemary's Baby. And he never got a lot of respect during his lifetime right? because he was making these grade Z kind of movies. But right. I loved the films. I love William Castle. So the, the movie was made and it premiered at um, AFI. And AFI had a program with the State Department. This was during the Bush years where they were actually... Sending filmmakers to other countries with their films as sort of a cultural exchange. So instead of bombing people, we would they would send people out to, you know, with the to, movies. Yeah, and they chose you were a tingler. drone. You were like a fucking I was a drone. Human drone. You were uh, *Spine Tingler* to Jakarta, and they've never heard of William Castle there. But right, they felt I guess that William Castle. What's more American than showmanship? Right. And of hucksterism. Course. Yeah. And Castle was this bombastic, larger-than-life guy with the big cigar, and he's part of Hollywood history. So they sent me with – and I have a, a tingler. The Tingler is one of the movies he made, and it's about a monster that lives on your spine. Yeah. And when you're scared, if you don't scream to release your fear, the tingler feeds on your fear, and he will can crack your spine unless okay. you scream. That's in the movie. So I have an actual replica of the tingler, which I, I will I think that
0: dude's on Grindr as well. The ting- I think, the I, think tingler, I saw the tingler. Or I hope it might have been
1: Scruff. I don't know. I hope he's on all of those. Um, <laughs> so I think I brought the tingler to – Jakarta, Indonesia. I met all these great people in Indonesia. They'd never heard of William Castle, but they love horror movies there. Right. And we got to screen the movie there, and I got to uh, proselytize about uh, William Castle, and that was a fantastic experience. And I would never have gone to Jakarta, Indonesia, That's and the movie was able to open that that up to me, and, and um, yeah. get this great opportunity to do that.
0: What did when you took a you picked a few pictures uh, questions?
1: I picked from your your uh, your deck here, deck of uh, fun. Um, what was your worst job you ever had? This is probably the worst job, but it's also kind of the best job. But when I was in college during, um, I had a, a few months off from college, I guess it was a Christmas break or something. And, um, I got a job working at Show World in Times Square. Do you know what Show World is? No. It was like the Disneyland of porn in Times Square, pre Giuliani Times Square. And that was a place where they had, um, the peep shows and the strippers and they actually opened a bar called the Big Top Lounge, but they didn't serve any alcohol because they didn't have a license for that. So they just served like apple juice or whatever. And right. so I was the—I got a job working in the bar. I was the only guy working in the bar. And I, my job was to be kind of like a barker and yell out at the guys who were jerking up in the peep show booths to come into the bar and 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 watch the the strippers at the bar. It was it was really weird, and they all thought I was a narc because I was the only guy working there. And how old were you? It was co- it was in college. It was like wow. A, I don't remember how old it was. And I I think I got the job. I don't remember how, even how I got this job. But it was total. Did your parents run. know you were working there? Yeah, they did. And I felt really. It was like the. It was a day shift too. So these yeah. were guys on, on a Friday, they would come in with their, they just cashed their paychecks and they were just like blowing their paycheck on sitting with these strippers. It was very interesting. That's a yeah. great story. Who knew? How long did you work there? Um, Not that long. Okay. Uh, not that long. It was just like um, a couple months probably. All right. You know, but you know. you know what? It's a life lesson. It was a life lesson. All right. What else you got? Who are your teen crushes? Oh, wow. Oh, that's easy.
0: Okay. John Eric Hexham. Oh, he's on my locker. You know, I got a locker in my room, and a lot of people suggested pictures of John Eric Hexum. Interesting. John
1: Eric hexum was... He died tragically. He died tragically. Well, he was on a show called Voyagers. Yes. Which is about a kid, and the kid on the show was probably about the age that I was when I was watching it, and he got to travel around time with this big, hunky guy. Uh, and they were like best buddies and he, they did a, like a Roman gladiator episode and he was like wearing the Roman gladiator outfits and he did a movie with Joan Collins. Yeah. Making of a male model. Of course. Remember I, that? I want to watch. Yeah. And, and then he died tragically by, uh, on the set.
0: Because yeah. he
1: put a gun to his head that he thought had blanks in it. Yeah. And it went off and it, it killed the guy. But it did have blanks, but didn't, it wasn't the blank what killed him? The blank was what killed him. Yeah. So like I... I don't. I don't think at the time I knew that was a crush, but now looking back on it, yeah, I, for I, sure, that was a crush. Yeah, John Ericxson, R.I.P. Wow.
0: Do you have any more? Are those a, are those your big questions? Those are good ones. I mean, I don't know if we can top the.
1: Uh, I do to top the stripper story? The stripper story. No, I think we. I think we. Remember can when
0: you had a birthday party at that hotel in Palm Springs?
1: I do. That was a 40th birthday party.
0: 40th birthday party, and it was what was it called? Uh, Ruby Montana's Ruby Coral, Montana's Coral. And Coral it was,
1: Sands. Yeah. Or Coral Springs. Coral Sands. Coral sand. Yeah, we rented out. Um, remember forty? I remember forty. I remember it. And um, it we rented last out. Last week we rented out the whole. Uh, we rented out the whole place, and you
0: I, came. And I had like the um, uh,
1: Howdy Doody suite or something like that. Which one were you in? Uh, yeah, every room had a different theme. theme. Yeah, it was like yeah, a yeah, kitschy theme. I think I was in the Roy Rogers. Maybe. Yeah, I might. Like, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: I was a cowboyish one too. You were in a, there. Was a Howdy Doody. It felt like it, but it might have been Roy Rogers or maybe something like that. Palm Springs. Do you think you'll end up in Palm Springs? I could be one of those dudes that end up there. Um, I kind of like it out there.
1: I do too. Yeah. Some friends of mine just moved there, like packed up their shit. They just gone. had it. Yeah. They're mm-hmm.
0: done. I got to figure out an escape plan. I got to figure out a plan B. What's the plan? I don't know. We. This is not, you know. This is the plan. This is the plan right here. We're doing it. Um, last question, which never is. What would be your dream gig? You wanna do you
1: wanna just keep doing what you're doing, but have it not be so hard? I'd love to make a new movie every two years. Yeah. I'd love to be making a movie or every every year have a new movie out in the world. I'd love to keep making docs. I want to keep I would like to do features in the same kind of stories. genre that I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. I love true stories I love Yeah, real people. But I'd love to keep making movies. Yeah. Like forever. I feel like that's what we're supposed to, I'm supposed to be doing. What was the first movies you remember seeing? Uh, movies like at all yeah. exactly? in general. Um, my parents took me to see Network for some reason. That's such a good movie. It is, but I was like four, literally. I don't think they they probably couldn't get a babysitter. So I remember, spoiler, I remember Howard Beale getting assassinated with the machine guns. Like, that's like my first movie memory. Vivid movie memory Howard Beale getting, and I had no idea what was going on.
0: Most kids, it's Bambi, Bambi's mom
1: dying. We saw those movies too, but that one definitely made an impression. And then Young Frankenstein, my dad took, took me to see, but he told us it was going to be really scary and then when we saw it and I realized that it was hysterically funny and scary, yeah. that kind of blew my mind that it yeah. could be both at the same time. So that's still one of my favorite movies. Is that I'm the one sure. with What Knockers? Why Thank You? Of course. Yes. I and think- they just screened that um, at the Academy a few months ago. I love that stuff. Mel Brooks stuff. was there and Terry Garr was there. And yeah. So Jewish humor, shticky kind of Jewish humor, Mel Brooks, all that stuff. Right. Enough. Old Jewish comedians I love. Um, yeah, but yeah, uh, seeing uh, Howard Beale get assassinated on the big screen uh, when I shouldn't have been there. Yeah, it's really amazing.
0: Yeah. Okay, how can people learn about your work or, or if they're in these different cities where it's playing? How can people learn about uh, Tab Her and Confidential?
1: There's There's um, a website. Tab.confidential.com and and Facebook page, of course. And um, we're just starting. So, you know, you can get in on the action right now. Right on. We've started, you know, doing the whole. uh, And Tab has a Twitter account, which I don't even think Tab knows what Twitter is, but Tab's on Twitter. There you go. It's all happening.
0: That's awesome. Well, congratulations. It's a wonderful movie. I'm so happy that I got to be one of the first people to see it.
1: Not only that, but there's some um some audio in the movie from you from Mismatch Game. Oh, where would it be? Okay, uh, so in how many of you movie I forgot about that. Well, we, we need like uh we needed some sound for for veto. We needed a crowd chanting Vito, Vito, Vito for right. this part of the movie where the Act Up uh, contingent is is cheering Vito, who's watching right. them from a balcony. So we we did we recorded people chanting Vito at mismatch. You camp. brought
0: your little equipment and you came up on stage, and then the panelists like sexually harassed you, as yeah, I recall. Every
1: time we've done it, that's happened. But that's if
0: you see. If you <laughs> now see, you know
1: how Tab Hunter feels. Well, if you see that movie, you see Vito. You'll okay. hear you'll hear it yeah and then and then in i'm divine we have a, a section where divine is being uh is landing on an airplane and getting off the airplane in san francisco and meeting the coquettes and meeting right. his fans for the first time ever right and we recorded your your audience screaming we love you divine and you can hear william actually willem willem oh you my can god hear willem in the crowd it's like you could actually hear his voice saying we love you divine and so that's in the movie amazing and tab there's some um what did During we do the, for Tab? Was it the press Yelling, stuff? yeah. Some paparazzi people yeah. yelling out, Tab and Natalie. Wood. Our
0: crowd is very versatile. We can play a myriad of roles. So
1: thanks for the free day ADR. Well. I
0: love that. I love that every time you come. And we're doing the Mismatch Game next weekend, the 14th and 15th, folks, oh. if you're in L.A. Yeah, I love that. Mismatch yeah. Game
1: is, makes me so happy every time we go. I'm has so been. I don't know how many times I've been to see that show, but yeah. it's, it's the best thing ever.
0: Well, Jeffrey Schwartz, I adore you. I love you. I think you're amazing at what you do. And you soldier on
1: Feeling and it's not easy
0: all right go check out his website and see his movie and um re-embrace the tab bring Re- the
1: tab back re-embrace tab and um watch all this stuff and watch documentaries people because love great. them. And i love them there's so much good work happening right now and there's so many more places to see them now yeah and you know you don't even have to get off the couch you and don't. You it's can, all right there. It's all right there. But get off the couch and go to gay film festivals.
0: I know. What did you think of? Did you see Life Itself? The Roger Ebert. Talk? I love that. Movie. I cried like a
1: baby in that movie. I loved Life Itself, and um, that's everything a good doc should be. And yeah. what, what Ebert said about movies being an empathy machine. Yes, I love that because that's what that's kind of what um, I hope this, the work that I do does. Yeah. That, you know, a, um, somebody who feels that they have no connection whatsoever to the life of Vito Russo or, or divine can find something in that story that they relate to. And I love that.
0: I think that's beautiful. I think it's a great note to end on and, uh, keep on doing what you're doing. And, um, thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks, Dennis. Bye. My thanks again to Jeffrey Schwartz. You can learn about his films at jeffrey schwartzcom and all the best to him at South by Southwest. And keep an eye out for Tab Hunter Confidential when it comes your way. All right, so this happened. Okay, I've been wanting to share this news for a very long time and finally I can. Okay, back in the fall, I submitted a script to this thing called the Writers Access Project, which is put together by the Writers Guild of America and it's designed to give mid-level writers... Uh, a little boost of uh, exposure uh, in the industry in the hopes of getting more diversity into the writers' rooms. And it's open to people in different diversity categories. Gays and lesbians, I ticked that box. I ticked it gay. I was gay as fuck when I ticked it, too. Um, uh, Women, uh, racial minorities, um, people with disabilities, people over 55. People that are sort of underrepresented. You could enter it. Okay, I was working right up until the last second to submit my script, and I turned it in. And throughout most of the fall, up until very recently, I've been struggling with some health issues. Digestive and sinus, I had full-on sinusitis, and I knew they were connected, but I couldn't figure out how. And every test I did was like normal, normal, normal. So on one particularly bad day, I'm getting a CAT scan on my nose. And I'm about to go in and get it, and I get a message from the guild saying they have a question about my submission. So I am sure that I screwed it up, and I did something wrong. Uh, So I get my CAT scan, and I have a friend that happens to be visiting from London named James, and he was having tea at the Soho house. I know, very she-she. Well, my CAT scan place was in walking distance, and I feel like I'm at Death's Door, but I'm like, I'm going to go have coffee with him, because why not? I, you know... That way I can just jump off the ledge if I feel the need. I'll be high enough up to probably die. Okay, so I go up there with him and I tell him that I'm waiting to hear back from the guild about this thing and I'm sure like it could go anyway. So we're sitting there and I get a call saying um, that one of the judges that read my script really liked it and wanted to reach out to me separate and apart from the program, which the results of which wouldn't be announced for a long time. And I was like, you know, yeah, you can give him my info. That was the question. Can we give him your info? And um, it turned out to be Robin Schiff, who was the writer of Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion and has worked on a lot of awesome stuff since then. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. So I don't have to jump off the Soho house after all. And it turns out that my friend James had recently gotten married to his husband, Todd, and they did the Romeo and Michelle dance at their wedding. So it's all coming together, right? That was a really good bit of news when I needed a good bit of news. So um, I find out in December that I made the final round of the Access Project judging, but I wouldn't know until January if I got in. Still struggling with a lot of uh, health issues all through the holidays and can't figure out what's going on with me. I'm about to get uh, sinus surgery, like, that's the next step, and the doctor says, let's test you for allergies, maybe it's allergies, and I'm like, ugh, can't we just do the surgery, I was so ready to just run into that anesthesiologist and just, you know, wake up two years later, anyway, so I'm like, fine, we're doing the, um, the allergy test, and so I'm in there, and they're, you know, you have your shirt off, and they're doing all the allergens on your back, and, I'm talking to the woman about her sinuses and what I've been going through and what she's been going through. And she had a really rough thing. And I'm um, saying, gosh, that's so, that sounds really rough. I'm so sorry you went through that. Meanwhile, I'm looking at my phone and my email and I get an email saying I got into the program. So I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry about your sinuses. Oh my God. Oh my God. Like, and I'm like, she's, scratching my back, and I'm, like, trying to be sympathetic. Meanwhile, I got the best news I've gotten in years that I got into the program. I made it in. So finally, I was like, "Um, look, I just have to share some really good news with you, and I told her about it, and she was happy, and I was happy. All right. Turns out, I am allergic to milk and beef, onions, egg yolks, grapes. And uh, I had another allergy test to determine... That, those are the overlaps. There are a few other outliers from the different tests. So I've been laying off them for almost a month and doing better. So anyway, I'm not going to die, I don't think. And I got some really good news. So the Writer's Access Project, how it worked is there was uh, five seminars led by Glenn Mazzara, who uh, worked on The Walking Dead and Crash and a number of other shows. He's about to do a show called Damien for Lifetime. And also Leo Chu and Eric Garcia, who are a writing team, and they do the comedy Super Ninjas and a bunch of other great projects. And they sort of organized the, uh, the panel series, and, and you would go there and they would talk to you about how to interview for jobs. And gosh, I learned so much. And it was so amazing. There were a total of 11 writers in the program, and nine of them were drama writers, and only two comedy writers made the cut. Me and one other guy. And there were 171 scripts submitted. In the first round, they were given to writers and showrunners. And if you got uh, 4.5 or above on a scale of 1 to 5, you got into the program. So uh, that made you into the... You got into the final round. And then in the final round, which they narrowed it down to like 23 or something, the final round, they gave your script to three showrunners. And they said, would you hire this person based on this script? And all the submissions were blind. They didn't know your name. They didn't know your gender. They didn't know if you take the gay box. They didn't know. And would you hire this writer based on this script? And if you got two out of the three, you got into the program. And I got in. So I'm really proud and honored. And I wasn't able to say anything until the press release went out last week. So now what I'm trying to do is work it as hard as I can to any contacts that I have. The Guild does a really good job of pushing us out to showrunners, anyone with a pilot, um, anyone that judged it, network executives, diversity people, because it came out on the heels of the diversity report in television, which said that in terms of writers in writers' rooms, we're going backwards in terms of different diversity categories. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. So in addition to putting out that report, they want to say, well, here's a start. Look at these people. We vetted them. So, It just went public. I'm doing all I can to make the most of it. Um, So far, I haven't had anybody... Our our scripts are all posted online. So far, I haven't had anyone read it and reach out to me, but it's very early. Um, They said don't expect, like, a landslide of activity, but, you know, a few inquiries would be nice. My goals are to get a staff writing job on a TV show, to get an agent and a manager and to ultimately get Misadventures on TV. Those are my goals, and uh, we'll see how it goes. But suffice it to say, I had one little lifeline sort of over the holidays, this thing I was looking forward to that could happen, that if I didn't die from my ailments, might might uh, open some doors for me, and it happened. So I'm really happy about it. I'm really grateful to everyone that read the script and gave me feedback and all that stuff. And, and, uh, we did an audio version of it that I posted on the last podcast. Again, I'm trying to, you know, do everything I can. So, um, that was a very long, so this happened, but it was a big deal. Right. And so, um, basically I'm excited about that and I, and don't miss milk that much and fuck cows, basically fuck cows is the point point. And um, that's it. All right, I'm going to wrap it up. I'll keep you posted if any other exciting developments happen. Um, I'm going to post the link to the uh, project page on the Dennis Anyone Facebook page so you can read all the scripts if you want. My script is there. You can see who the other writers are. And um, it was awesome. And um, I don't know. The moral of the story is I think for writers out there, just enter stuff where people read your stuff. That's the hardest thing to get anyone to read it. So like Patrick Tobin said in the podcast last year, every contest, anything where people read, because it's really hard to get anyone to read anything. So if they do it, you got a shot. All right, that's it. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to those who donated. I appreciate it. And um, we'll see you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye.